right. Good morning, everybody. How you all doing today? Oh, come on. That was pretty weak. How's everybody doing today? You're all like, I just missed my one hour of sleep. Let me back in bed for another hour. Well, it's really good to have you all out today. And I just hope that today you are blessed, encouraged. I mean, come on. Just singing those songs. No, nobody satisfies like Jesus. No one's as good as Jesus. Well, what a great reminder for today. Um, hey, we're gonna, I got a couple things to let you know about. And as I share what's going on in our church, I'm going to have our greeter team, if you guys would come down, and we are going to, or usher team, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to give back to God and just to bless Him out of the abundance that He's blessed you with. And maybe you're going, Rich, what abundance are you talking about? I just encourage you, whatever God's blessed you with, this is an opportunity to give back to God and just say, Jesus, everything I have, the little or the lot, it all comes from you. And so, uh, yeah, I'd love, love to just bless Jesus with what he's given us. Um, a couple things coming down the pike. So this coming Sunday, we are having an international potluck after our morning service. If you're new to Ferndale, you got to know something about us. We like to eat food, and we, even, we like to eat it together even more. And so uh, that's coming up this Sunday right after our morning service. And it's an international potluck. So the idea is that you bring a dish that represents where you, where you came from, represents your roots, your family history, uh, whether that's from somewhere over in Europe, whether that's from somewhere down south, um, somewhere maybe up north, um, bring a dish next week that represents where you came from, okay? And hopefully we're going to have dishes from literally all over the planet. Um, I'll probably bring something Canadian. Uh, my wife Becky, is, she's got some, some Norwegian roots, so maybe she'll bring some lefse or something like that. I don't know. But bring something that represents... Yeah, yeah. Bring something that represents where you, where you came from. And then uh, Easter is coming up just four weeks away. And uh, we have a Good Friday service. Our, our network of churches, all six of us, we join together um, over at our Bellingham campus every Good Friday. And uh, just have a time to remember uh, this, everything that we just sang about, how Jesus paid it all for us. And we'd love to have you be there. It's a powerful night. And then uh, Easter is coming up uh, on April 9th, just after spring break. And so we're going to plan on having a, a big party here that morning. And also after our morning service, we're going to be having a big uh, bringing back the Easter egg hunt. And so uh, we need you to bring candy. There's going to be bins out there next week. And so uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We got some ladies in our church putting that on, and it's going to be really good. So just kind of keep your, your eyes and ears posted for all the details on that on our social media. If you're um, not on our newsletter, you can, you can uh, grab a connection card at the back and just put down there, I'd like to get some more information about what's happening in our church. Or if you'd like to connect in any way uh, to what God is up to in our church, um, grab a connection card and let us know. Awesome. Okay, today we are wrapping up a series called Resilient uh, that we've been in for the last three weeks. And, and this series has really been an invitation to you uh, just to persevere through whatever it is that, that, that life has been thrown at you. Um, it's been about refusing to give into discouragement, refusing to give into uh, hardship, persecution, and instead going, okay, I'm actually going to, instead of that, I'm going to run the life of faith with courage. I'm going to run the life of faith with boldness. I'm going to run the, the life of faith with purpose. And uh, Hebrews 12 is a, a passage of Scripture that we've really been kind of hanging out in in this series, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And uh, it's this passage of Scripture. I think it's kind of like, 
You know, there's some passages in the Bible that are just like so motivational, inspirational, that they just make you kind of want to get up and, and, and give everything you've got serving God. This is one of those passages. It's kind of like, you know, you know, you have these movies where at some point a leader stands up in front of everybody and gives this big motivational speech, you know, like Braveheart with all the guys and or you have uh, the coach from Miracle on Ice, and there's this moment where he just stands up and he tells everybody, hey, you were made for this. Or, or remember, remember the Titans, Coach Boone? He stands up and he just brings all the guys together and rallies them, and, and they just have the strength to carry on. Well, this passage of Scripture is really kind of like that. And, and as I read it to you again this morning, I want you to pay attention to what's happening in here. Pay attention to, to what it does to you here in your in your, your gut. Okay? Sound good? It goes like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do those words make you feel? Built up? Encouraged? Strengthened? You know, maybe if you're going through it right now, you just, you, you read those words, and it just kind of shifts your perspective, and it gets your perspective back in the right place. It reminds you of who you are. It reminds you that you're called to run a race, that you're surrounded. Like we sang about a few moments ago, you're surrounded by this, this great cloud of witnesses. Jesus himself paving the way. He endured. He, he suffered. Faced oppositions. Uh, and, and these words, they encourage you to follow in his footsteps and and really just to not grow weary and to not, to not lose heart. And if you're here this morning feeling weary, like you've lost heart, these words are for you today. And today we're going we're gonna to wrap up the series by looking at how you can be just like the person who wrote these words. Now we know the whole Bible is, is inspired by God, but, but God used human authors. He inspired them to write, to write um, Scripture. And the person who wrote these words was an encourager. Not just any encourager. This, the person who wrote these words was filled with the Holy Spirit. They, they loved God. They had a supernatural component to their encouragement. God, the Holy Spirit, was on this encouragement. This is somebody that knew that life has a way of leaving you beat up, has, has a way of leaving you weary, has a, a way of leaving you in a place where you lose heart. And, and all of us, need people in our lives like the person who, who wrote this to remind us of who we are and who will pick us up when we're down. And, and today is, is about you and me becoming these kinds of encouragers. It's not necessarily about you, how you find people like this in your life. Um, we talked a little bit about that last week, but this is really about how do you and me become these kinds of encouragers who come around the people that, that are in our Sphere, the people that are, are part of, of our lives, how do we become these kinds of encouragers? And this past week, um, as I was just getting ready for this morning, I spent some time reflecting on, okay, who are the people in my life that have been like my, who, who've been Rich Warner's encouragers? And right at the top of the list is my, my beautiful bride, Becky. Definitely. Top of the list. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. Not cheesy. <laughs> and I, I just got, it, it's, 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 
it's true. Like whenever I've become discouraged in life, um, whenever I've felt like I've just been a failure, like I've just messed up, she's right there, like right now. Whenever I've made my biggest mistakes, Becky knows them all, and she's been right there to encourage. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm married to someone who knows who I am and knows uh, who God's made me to, to be and believes in that and speaks into that and builds me up when I'm at my absolute worst. Whenever I do pre-marriage counseling with couples, I always have a moment where I encourage um, the lady, hey, there's going to be moments where he feels like an absolute failure, like he's just screwed up, like he doesn't have what it takes. That's your moment to step in and remind him, and you have been that for me, and I'm very blessed. And then, then, um, <laughs> and then after Becky, there's a, there's a bunch of people that come to mind. Um, John and Darlene Garner are some of Becky and I's biggest encouragers in our, our church family. And uh, John's at home this morning. Hey, John. He has not been feeling well. And uh, I have a little, a little, uh, I have a couple folders, encouragement folders. I have an actual, like, hard copy folder in, in my file cabinet. And I also have a, an email inbox or an email folder that just says encouragement on it. And it's kind of for those, those dark moments where you just kind of forget who you are and you just, where, where you've lost heart. And, you, and I'll, I'll go back to that. And there's a lot of cards and a lot of emails in there from John and Darlene. I mean, they're just, they're those kind of people. And then there's a guy that, that a lot of you, probably most of you don't know, who has been a huge uh, source of encouragement. His name's Frank Talbot, and uh, he's, he's my pastor. And I've been meeting with him for the last 13 years, every single week. And uh, I'm not overstating things when I say that I would not be the father, the husband, the leader that I am without, without Frank. I mean, he's that kind of an encouragement to me, just constant. And encouragement... And you all know this. Encouragement keeps you going. Encouragement gives you strength when you feel like you've lost heart and you've just become uh, very weary. Um, there's another who's been a, a big encouragement. Um, he's no longer alive. But there's a good possibility, actually a very strong possibility, um, that he's the man who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. Now, just to be clear, uh, scholars have never, Bible scholars throughout the years, uh, they, they know who wrote most of the New Testament um, and, and the Old Testament as well. But there's a couple books in the Bible where they're really not sure who wrote the book. It's just not 100% conclusive who wrote the book. Hebrews is one of these books that they've never just come to like um, uh, total agreement on who wrote it. But, but many believe, and I believe, that the person who wrote this book was, was a man named Barnabas. And um, by the time that we're done this morning, you will might just be convinced as well that Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. And just a little bit about this guy named Barnabas. Um, his, his story goes like this. Barnabas was actually a key figure in the early church. Um, he's one of these guys. He's not super well known like a Peter or a Paul. Uh, he's kind of one of these guys that's sort of in the background. But his role in the early church is huge. It's, it's so important. He's a man who grew up in this uh, small island uh, called Cyprus for most of his life. Um, people actually didn't know him as Barnabas. They knew him as Joseph. And at some point, we don't really know for sure, but at some point, he either saw Jesus in person and, and put his faith and trust in Jesus, or he heard about Jesus after Jesus had ascended, and he, he put his faith in Jesus. And he appears first in the Bible in, the, in Acts chapter 4. And, and so in Acts chapter 4, the church has just launched. It's revival. It's awakening. People are coming to Christ in droves. 
And um, there's this incredible sense of community in the early church. There's this incredible love that, that people have for one another. So much so that the Bible says there were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles, to the, the church leaders, and to, to give to those in need. And then the Bible in this passage of Scripture, it goes on to specifically name one of the people um, that was just so generous. You can see it up on, on the screen there. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field and brought the money to the apostles. I just, you know, don't you just love all the, the nicknames in the Bible? I think we should bring back nicknames in the church. I mean, you have, you have Joseph. They're like, hey, we're going to call you Barnabas, son of encouragement. Jesus sees James and John. He's like, sons of thunder. <laughs> Simon, we're going to stop calling you Simon. No, you're the rock. You're Peter. That's what we're going to name you. Well, well, here's Joseph, and they just, he's got this rep, such a reputation for being a person of, of encouragement that they give him the name Barnabas, which means son of, of encouragement. But here's the early church. People are in need, and, and people aren't usually in need unless they're going through some hard times. And, and if you've ever been in hard times, which you all have been, you know that hard times can be, what, discouraging times. They're the kind of seasons where you just want to throw in the towel, where you just want to drop out of, of the race, so to speak. And what does Barnabas do? He sees the need, and he steps in, and he helps out. Um, Becky and I have been through several seasons like this where there's just been need um, when we were newlyweds and we just had a young family we were hardly making any money in this church that we were associate pastors in just kind of barely getting through and uh, we just bought this van it was a used uh, like old Ford Aerostar I think like we, they're not even around anymore but um, <laughs> we bought this used van it ran pretty good we were just we were actually feeling like we got this vehicle that's pretty nice well all of a sudden it just started to turn into a lemon the motor went on this van, and we were stuck with no vehicle, and we did not know, okay, what, how, what are we going to do? And we were stressed, and we were anxious, and all those things um, that, that we can be when you're in a hard financial season. Well, in that moment, this man named George, this old farmer dude, who had, in that season of our li lives, he was a huge encourager for, for Becky and I. George steps in pulls out his checkbook and writes us a check for a pretty well brand new van. Now, the switch in us from discouraged to encouraged was massive. Someone saw our need and stepped in and did something about it. And, and sometimes the best way to encourage somebody doesn't actually involve words. It doesn't involve words. It's when you see that your, your, your wife is going through it and you have some flowers sent into her, her job. Or you see a friend is in the hospital and you stop in and say hi. You see someone who's just going through it financially and rather than just sit back and go, oh man, I hope they make it through, you step in and you actually help with the situation somehow. Somebody is in mourning. Maybe someone has lost a loved one and, and, and you just, you show up. If you've ever been in a season of grief, you know that the most powerful thing is not for someone to come in with the, the, the perfect words. It's for someone just to be there. And to be present, it's, it's so encouraging. Well, this is what Barnabas does. He sees a need, and he steps in, and it brings encouragement. A little later on in the book of Acts, we see Barnabas, um, there's several different uh, times that he encouraged, and we're going to mention a few of these this morning. But a little bit later on, um, there's this time uh, with this, th th there's this man who would 
go on to spread the gospel in the world more than just about anybody else. The man was uh, Saul, who had become later known as Paul. All these name changes, not trying to confuse you this morning. But Saul would become Paul. And prior to coming to faith, um, this man Paul had been so hostile to the church. He'd been this powerful uh, leader um, in that day. And he'd been so hostile to the church that he actually oversaw the persecution and even murder of Christians. This is, this is Paul. But then he has this radical encounter with Jesus. He's on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden this light comes down from heaven. Jesus speaks to him, and in an instant, he is radically changed, radically transformed, and called to preach the gospel. Well, not too long after Paul's transformation, he, he has this call to preach and tell people about Jesus. And, and not long, long after that, he decides that he's going to go down to Jerusalem, and he wants to kind of get in with the rest of the disciples and, and just kind of join along with the other followers of Jesus. Well, listen to what happened when he did. The Bible says when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all these guys. Um, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And when you think about it, of course they were afraid. They thought that Paul was out to get them, um, but, but that wasn't who Paul was anymore. Paul was now a new creation. Paul now had a, uh, was called by God. Paul had a, a purpose in his life. But none of them saw it. None of them saw it. The disciples, they just, they, all they saw was the old Paul. All they could see was Paul the hater. All they could see was Paul the persecutor. All they could see was Paul this massive, massive risk. Let's not let him join. And, and so they're like, we do not, we don't want that guy down here at all. And what Paul needed in that season was an encourager. He is someone that, that, that in that moment would see him the way that God saw him, someone who would vouch for him, and enter the, into the scene, Barnabas. The Bible says that when the, the rest rejected him out of fear, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. You see, Barnabas saw who Paul really was when nobody else did. Barnabas saw who Paul was when nobody else did. Later on, there's a, another situation involving this, this man uh, named Mark. Uh, only this time it was, it was Paul. This is later on in Paul's life. And Paul had been preaching and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and Paul all of a sudden only sees the bad in Mark. Uh, Paul saw Mark as a risk. Paul saw Mark as, as someone who couldn't be trusted. He saw Mark as somebody who had to still come along and, and prove themselves. But Barnabas saw the good in Mark. Barnabas saw the potential. He saw the transformation in him. He saw that he was ready to go. And he was, and, and Barnabas was so bothered by Paul, you know, the same guy that he had vouched for years earlier, Barnabas was so bothered that Paul did not see the good in Mark that they had this, the Bible talks about how they had this massive disagreement and both of them parted ways. They parted, parted ways. But Barnabas, he saw the good in people when others only saw the bad. Being a great encourager, you got to get this, being a great encourager starts with seeing people the way that God sees them. Did you catch that this morning? Being a great encourager starts with seeing people the way that God sees them. You see people the way that God sees them. Just for a second this morning, this is going to be maybe a little uncomfortable for some of you, but <laughs> we're going to do it anyways. Just look around at the people around you. Just look at the people beside you, 
maybe swivel your head around, look to see who's on the row behind you, you know, see who the row, who, who's in the row in front of you. Um, if you're at home, look in the mirror if you're not with anybody. <laughs> Do you have any idea just how much that person is loved by Jesus? Do you have any idea who you're sitting beside this morning? I don't think most of us, if we're honest, do. I mean, he is passionate about that person that you're sitting beside. He wants that person that you're beside to come to know the life and, and the joy and the healing and the transformation that he brings. He wants them to know that so bad that he went and died on the cross for them. That's how crazy he is, in a good way, about the person that's around you. He delights in them. He takes incredible joy in them. In fact, the Bible even describes how he, he sings over us. He's called them. He has a very well-thought-out, specific, beautiful, glorious plan and purpose for that, purpose, purpose, that person's life. That person beside you, man, God Almighty looks at them, and his heart is filled with such fatherly pride and affection that if he was wearing a button-up shirt, his buttons would be bursting. He is crazy. Hear me. He is crazy about that person beside you. You know, the problem, though, is that we don't tend to see the, we don't tend to see people the same way that God sees them. We, we, we see what we see, you know. We see imperfections. We see the flaws. We see the shortcomings. Maybe we see someone whose disposition isn't necessarily super friendly looking. And, and one of the reasons for this is that you and I, we swim in a culture that trains us to see the bad in people. That's the culture that all of us swim in. Trains us to see the worst in people. All that stuff. I mean, just pay attention to what you see when you scroll through your, 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 your YouTube shorts or your Insta reels or your TikTok videos or whatever it is that you get your dopamine hit from. Um, just take a second and pay attention to what it is that, that shows up on your feet you will find that you're filling your mind with a constant barrage of hate, negativity, mocking, just jeering, slander. It is everywhere. And it is so, you know, they talk about how a fish, a fish doesn't really know that it lives in the ocean, right? It's, just, it's all it knows. And we swim in this culture so much that, that we oftentimes don't even see how much the culture that we, we are in is so full of just seeing the worst in people that we don't even really realize it's happening to us. Um, it's everywhere. Talk show hosts mocking people who disagree with them. People bashing po politicians they don't like. We, had, we, just were, we were down in Centralia yesterday for a volleyball tournament. We drove past this house and it had a big banner on the front that said uh, derogatory words along the lines of screw Biden. Right on the front of the house. People bashing, others making fun of those who have different beliefs than they do. It's everywhere. I'm a, when it comes to social media, probably my, my biggest social media, I'm a, I'm a Twitter guy. I love Twitter. I spend way too much time on it. And uh, I, I'm ashamed to say that I used to follow a couple accounts that I no longer follow, but um, one was a satire account. Another one was an account by a guy who's a pretty big thinker. If I was to mention both these names, you would probably, a lot of you would recognize them. And I had to stop following them because they, these two accounts, they just started to post a, a steady stream of content where they were basically mocking the transgender community. And the feed just had more and more like disdain 
and contempt and jeering and mocking. And I, I should have actually, as a follower of Jesus, just unfollowed them in that moment, but I didn't. And I'm not proud to say I would read this stuff. And, and it wasn't having a positive effect at all on the way how, how I was seeing that community. Instead of seeing that community as, as loved by Jesus, I, I actually started to see them, oh, maybe they do deserve some of the mocking that these guys are, are giving them. And one, and one day, here's what happened. I was, I was reading a post, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just came along and whispered in my ear and said, hey, Rich, Rich, pay attention to how you're feeling about these people. Rich, how you're feeling right now how you're seeing them, Rich, is not how I see them. It's not how I see them. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Rich, if you ever want to be in a place where you can have a positive influence on that community, you have to start seeing them the way that I see them. Which is loved, pursued, created by the Lord God Almighty. He thought of each one of them before the foundations of this earth were even laid. That's how he sees them. To be somebody who is skilled at seeing people the way that God sees them. Because when you don't, you might just unknowingly be partnering with the accuser of their soul who wants nothing better than to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and, and to be honest, you know, for some of you, and I'm putting myself in this category, this journey of seeing others the way that God sees them means that you're going to have to start seeing yourself the way that God sees you. You're going to have to start seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And there's, there's a reason why Jesus said the, the second greatest commandment, the first greatest commandment is to love God with everything that we have. And the second Jesus said is like it. He said, love your neighbor as what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can't see yourself how God sees you, how will you ever start to see others the way that God sees them? You can't. You know, last week I mentioned um, just how amazed I am, dumbfounded really, at how after following Jesus for 30 plus years, at how quick I am personally to agree with the, the yakking voice of the enemy in my ear. And I listened to it so quickly. And I let it just linger there for so long. Rich, you're a failure. Rich, you're a screw-up. Rich, you're disqualified. Rich, you're too old. Rich, you're not old enough. Rich, you're too reserved. You're too stuck. Go on and, I mean, I could list a hundred different things that get whispered in my ear. And rather than stopping the lie in its track, I just sit there and listen to it and even believe it at times. You know, recently um, I was at this church conference with my daughter Taylor. And uh, one of the speakers mentioned about this little thing that they do. And I thought at the time, like, oh, that's kind of corny. And this speaker was talking about how they have these, you know, those little, uh, these, these counters that you have at the entrance of a door, these guys right here. Uh, if, you're, if you're at an event, sometimes you'll use these little things just to, like, count people coming in or whatever. And the speaker was talking about how they so are, they're so into making sure that they agree with what God says about them and not the enemy that they, they, they speak truth over themselves, and their goal is to try to get up to 100 of these everyday kind of things. I thought, oh, that's kind of corny, but kind of a cool idea in a way. Well, my daughter Taylor, she goes on Amazon, and she orders her and I one of these counters. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a good practice. The most I've ever gotten up to in one day is 37. I haven't gotten up to 100 yet. But where you just agree with what God says about you and, and not with what the enemy says about you. And the idea is to get up to 100 for me. So the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. One. 
I am rooted and established in the love of Jesus. Two, God has not given me a spirit of fear or shyness or timidity. Three, he's given me a spirit of power. He's given me a spirit of love. He's given me a sound mind, discipline, boom, all that stuff. God loves me from before the foundations of the earth were even laid. Boom. He refreshes my soul. He, he walks with me through the darkest valley. Goodness and love are following me all the days of my life. Boom. And you see what it does? You start, you start to see yourself in the same way that God sees you. And, and, and maybe you're here going, okay, a hundred good things about yourself. Like, how, that's kind of that's unrealistic. You know, for us immersed in a culture that trains us to see the bad in people, we think a hundred good thoughts about how, who you are and how God's made you. That just seems like a, a way too many. But trust me when, when I say this this morning, if you can come up with a hundred ways that Christ sees you in a good way today, you're just barely scratching the surface. Don't believe me. Listen to what the Bible says. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I don't even know what this little guy goes up to. Probably like 9,999. The Bible says that's just scratching the surface. I can't even count them, the Bible says. They outnumber the grains of sand. You know, he knows you better than you know yourself. And I'm telling you, his thoughts towards you are far better than you think. Far better. Far, far better. Last thing is this. If you want to be a great encourager, start seeing people the way that God sees them. But don't just stop seeing, or don't, don't stop at seeing. Great encouragers, they put words to the good things that they see. They put words to the good things they see. So the church is, is first launched um, way back in the book of Acts. And one of the cities that had a powerful move of God uh, was a city called Antioch. It was kind of like Asbury, the Asbury of Kentucky. It was the Asbury back in the day. God just comes in and, and he moves in a powerful, powerful way. And the Antioch believers were doing some things that back in that day were very cutting edge. They just didn't really happen a whole lot. The Antioch believers were, were preaching the gospel to non-Jewish people, which was a questionable thing to do. And so the early church leaders in Jerusalem, they're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? This is brand new. Is this even good? Should we even be doing this? And so they needed some, somebody to go inspect. And so who did they choose? Barnabas. And Scripture records this awesome scene that plays out as this encouraging man. I mean, just think of the most encouraging person that you know. This is, Barnabas is that on steroids. And so here's Barnabas. He shows up at Antioch. I mean, he's probably, everybody else has probably got a negative tint maybe on just this whole thing that's going on. But I just imagine Barnabas, he's just like, I'm going, to, I'm going to encourage some people. I'm going to build some people up. I'm going to help people see, the, see themselves the way that God sees them. He shows up on the scene, and listen to what the Bible says. It says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. <laughs> and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And the Bible gives this picture here, which, just as a side note, if this is said at my funeral, I'll consider myself having lived a good life. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas, he shows up. He, he just lavishes these people with the goodness and the grace of God. Then he encourages the true. I mean, we're talking about resilience and perseverance, and he's encouraging them. Hey, stay true to who God 
is and stay true to his word and stay true to what he's called you to be. He encourages them to run the race well. Be this kind of person. Be this kind of person. Be someone who is, who is, is quick to send a, a note of encouragement to somebody. Somebody who's, 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 who's quick to tell somebody else what you see in them, the good that you see in them. If you're a parent here, you have to make this a normal part of your life. Don't become so consumed with correcting the bad in your kids that you forget to affirm all the good in your kids. The character that you see. We just, we, we uh, a while back, we, we printed out this list of character traits. And there's, I think there's about a hundred of them. And we have it posted in our kitchen. And the idea is that we would, we would be learning all these different characteristics and calling them out in one another. But be the kind of person that, that is calling out the good in people. And, and don't just do this in your own strength. Don't just do this in your own wisdom. Actually do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. Rich, what do you mean by encouraging under the power of the Holy Spirit? Last week, we just briefly talked about this gift that, that God gives the church that is all about encouragement. It's a gift called prophecy. And Paul describes it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where he says this. He says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities or the gifts that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, you're probably maybe going, okay, what in the world? I, God is, wants me to desire the gift of prophecy. Maybe you're here and you're going, okay, I've been a follower of Jesus almost my whole life, and I, I, I can honestly say I've never once desired the gift of prophecy, but the Bible is saying that we should all desire the gift of prophecy. What in the world does that even mean? Well, just a little bit further down, it describes what this gift is all about, and it says this. It says, one who prophesies strengthens others encourages them and comforts them. And what I would say the gift of prophecy is, we don't have time to get into it this morning, but it's, it's encouragement that has the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit on it. It's a, it's a whole different level of encouragement. Um, I've had this happen a number of times in my life, like even in the, probably in the last two months, um, some significant moments where somebody has come to me who is I would say, flowing in this gift that the Holy Spirit gives. Um, I meet with this group of church leaders every Wednesday morning. It's a, um, it's a Zoom thing. They're from all over North America, and there's about 12 of us, and one of the ladies in our group is this little, little, she must be about 80 years old. I'm not sure how old she is, but this little fireball of a lady. Her name is Hilda, and uh, right now she's on a six-week missionary trip over in Israel, and uh, this group was taking some time to the last two months, we've taken probably about half of our time together just to pray over one another. And Hilda, she has this moment where she, it was my turn to be prayed over, and as, as she's, as they're all praying over me, Hilda felt like God just really wanted her in that moment to pray Isaiah 58 over me. Isaiah 58 is one of these passages. It's, kind of like, it's like Hebrews 12. It's just like beautiful and glorious. And if you ever find yourself just feeling kind of hopeless, down, this is a, this is a powerful passage. While she starts praying and declaring that God is going to make me a well-watered wa garden. He's going to restore things that have been broken down. He's going to build stuff up. It was powerful. And then not even probably three or four weeks after that moment, uh, me and Taylor at this conference that I was telling you about, we're at this conference, and um, at this conference, I, I just, me and Taylor went into this thing like, we're going to go, and we're just going to get everything that God has for us. 
So if there's like some kind of like ministry time, boom, we're going to be down at the front. God, what do you want to do in us? Well, I'm at the front being prayed over by this guy who's probably 22, 23 years old. And as this guy's praying over me, he says, Rich, I, I don't know what it is, but I just like see the word champion over your head. And, and he's like, I don't know how you've been seeing yourself in life, but I want you to know, I feel like God wants you to know that, Rich, he just sees you as like a champion. He actually comes along, he, hey, can I grab your arm and just like put it up like a champion? So here I am with this kid that I don't know at the front of the altar, like <laughs> arm raised, champion. Then he, comes, then he comes behind me and he says, Rich, I just feel like God wants me to like symbolically like put the belt around your waist. And Do you think I left that ministry time just with my head hanging down? No. I'm like, let's go. Champion. It's crazy. That is, that is what the gift of prophecy looks like. It's encouragement but with a supernatural edge anointing of the Holy Spirit on it. And, and some of you have this gift and you don't even realize it. And it's just inactive. Or maybe it's just rarely put into to practice. Maybe you come on a Sunday morning and you, you just, you see somebody and you don't even really know them, but you just have like a picture that you, you have that God, that God gives you in your spirit about this person. And, 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 but you're like, mm, that's probably just me, or that's a little weird. Maybe God is giving you that picture because he wants you to go up to them and encourage them with this gift that God wants all of us to, to, to long for and to, to desire. Some of you, you, you see things about people, or maybe, maybe it's just you, you see somebody on a Sunday, or maybe it's during the week, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, and, and everything looks all rosy and fine on the outside. They're just happy and cheery, but you sense like something— Maybe there's something going on with them, and you, you feel like God maybe just wants to, you to go up to them and say, hey, I just feel like the Spirit of God wants me to remind you that He loves you and He's for you. And you, you go, eh, that's probably just me, and you don't do it. Listen, you never know the kind of impact that your obedience and your encouragement could have on that person. You have no idea. Did you know that Paul, this, this guy that, that Barnabas encouraged when the rest of the disciples were like, yeah, he's a little too risky, let's keep him away. We don't, the Bible doesn't give us a glimpse into what's happening in Paul's soul in that moment, but who knows, maybe he's discouraged, maybe he's like, God, did you really call me? Do you really have a purpose in my life? Who knows? But Barnabas comes along, he's like, hey, disciples, you need to meet this guy, Paul. Yeah, he had a past, but no, he's, he's, that's not who he is. He's a new guy. He comes along, he brings Paul to the, to the, the, the disciples. Paul goes on to have this massive impact. I mean, Half of the New Testament written by Paul. How about Mark? You know, here's this guy that not a lot of people have heard of either. Like, who, he actually went by the name John Mark. Paul kind of writes him off. He's like, yeah, he's too big of a risk. Let's not bring him on the trip. But Barnabas is like, no, we need to bring this guy. There's some potential in this guy. And by the way, later on, if you read through, through Paul's epistles and his letters, Paul actually had a change of heart towards Mark. And, and, and had obviously his whole perspective had changed because of whatever Barnabas said. Well, this guy Mark, you know what he does? He writes one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. That's the, you never know the kind of impact that your encouragement can have on people. The Bible says that the words that come out of your mouth, they have so much power in them. In fact, there's a Proverbs, uh, 1821, death and life are in the power of what? The power of the tongue. Your words have so much power. And, and I don't know about you, but I would love that the culture of this church 
oh man, the culture, the culture of our homes, the, cu- the culture that, that we create with our families, the culture that we have in our, our marriages, that, that, the, that we would have the kind of environments where, where it's just life-giving. It's life-giving. Parents, do your kids... Is the environment that you set in your home, the words that come out of your mouth, are you creating like a greenhouse where they can flourish and grow? Or is it more of the environment where it's just like they're stifled and all they see is how they mess up and they screw up and they fail here and they fail there? Be parents that create a place where they flourish and grow. As a church, let's, let's create that kind of environment in this church where you can walk in here on a Sunday. It doesn't matter how how, how much you've lost heart this week, how discouraged you are, you just know that there's going to be life spoken here. Not just during the official time, but even like as you're hanging out out there, you're here for a potluck, you know it's life-giving. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a church like that? Where just life, life, life being spoken. Barnabas, he goes to Antioch, and he encourages the people um, but, but the story is, is, is not over there. He encourages the, these people, and, and they come to Jesus in Antioch with, with the ministry that Barnabas had brought. They come to Jesus in such droves that Barnabas needs some help. And in that moment, he knew just who to get. There was a man who had come to faith in Jesus, a man who had great purpose in his life, a man called by God to change the world, but a man who most believers just rejected and didn't want anything to do with. Um, he was too big of a risk, a threat. That man was Saul, who would be changed, name changed to Paul. And the Bible says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it was Barnabas who saw this, this good in, in, in Paul and, and helped launch him into this ministry that would literally impact the globe. Back in the 1950s, and we'll close with this, there was a, a scientist, his name was Kurt Richter, and he performed experiments on, on rats, and uh, he made this interesting discovery. So he found that uh, if you put rats into these, like, containers, these, like, high-sided containers, you put these, he'd have these big containers, and there'd be water in there, and the water would be circulating and churning, and just, it was kind of rough and turbulent and all this kind of stuff. He found that if you put a, a rat in there, that just kind of left by themselves, they could probably swim for about 15 minutes, and then they would just drown. 15 minutes, and then they would drown. But when the swimming rats same, put in the same container, the same circulating water, the same depth, everything, he found that when this, this, the uh, swimming rats were taken out and rescued briefly, and then put back in the water, they could swim for, get this, 60 hours. One rescue, taken out, put back in, they go from swimming for 15 minutes to 60 hours. That's 240 times longer than the rats who were not temporarily rescued. And and here's what they discovered, is that the rescue, it gave them hope. The rescue, it gave them fresh energy. It gave them this resolve and encouraged them, so to speak, to keep on swimming. All of us in this room, listening online, you have people in your lives that are on the verge of collapsing. You have people in your lives that are, are on, they're in the middle of losing heart, 
they are in a place where they're discouraged and don't let the smiley face deceive you. We have people in our lives like this. Some of us have people living, living under our own roofs and we're too busy to see it. But we have people in our lives like this and, and, and your words of encouragement could be, actually, let's change that. Your words of, of encouragement will be the rescue that they need that's going to give them the strength to keep on keeping on. Let's be people of encouragement. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you so much for how you encourage us. God, even just this morning, it's been so good just being reminded that the same God who parted the Red Seas is right here to part any obstacles, any things in our lives that the enemy is trying to throw at us. The same God that, that came alongside of Mary and just called her and was with her and encouraged her when, when she was going through this time where it's just her, her friends and family were, who knows what they were saying about her situation, but it was probably some discouragement in there. But you came alongside of her. You came alongside of Moses and the people of Israel. That same God is, is here today and encouraging us and speaking life into us. I thank you so much for that, Jesus. And Lord, I, I want to ask God that you would you'd help us. Holy Spirit, would you train us to be people like you where we, we see the good in people? We don't, we don't partner with what the, the enemy, the accuser says, but God, we, we partner with your Holy Spirit in calling out the good in people. God, help us to be those kinds of people. God, with our spouses, help us to be those kinds of people with our kids, our friends, our church, our coworkers. God, I pray that we would just be such people of encouragement. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that, that God, this morning, Lord, I know that you are encouraging people. God, there are people that, that, that stepped into this time together with just a, a heaviness on them just ready to toss in the towel. God, maybe there's somebody here that's just been just consumed with the, the lies of the enemy, consumed, just listening to the voice of the accuser of their souls. And God, you just want to encourage them this morning, remind them that, that, that you're God. You want to remind them that you're for them, you're not against them. You want to remind them, Lord, that your thoughts toward them are... are are so many that you can't even count them like the sands on the seashore. You want to remind them, God, of who they are. You want to remind them that they have a purpose. You want to remind them that they're called. You want to remind them that, God, you thought of them and you planned that they'd be here before, from even before the foundations of the earth being laid, according to Ephesians. You want to remind them, God, for that person that just feels like they've completely failed at, in, in life and that you want to remind them, God, you're, you're their shepherd. They lack nothing because of that. You want to remind them of that. Father, for the person that just feels like they do not have what it takes, you are you who gives them strength. You want to remind them of that this morning. So, Father, I pray that, that, God, you would speak to us and just encourage us, and then, God, help us to go out and be people of encouragement. Help us, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I have a little experiment that I want you to do today or tomorrow, but don't wait a couple days, otherwise you, you won't do it. But, but here's a little experiment that I want you to do. I want you to go home, grab a pen and paper, 
and just spend some time with Jesus. Um, if you've got lots of activity in your home, you might need to go find a quiet space, um, a bathroom, a closet, whatever that looks like for you. Go for a walk, whatever. But get alone with Jesus and just have a quiet moment with Jesus. Grab that pen and paper and, and, and ask, here's, the, here's what I want, to, want you to do. I believe that God speaks today. Yes, he spoke through the scriptures, but I believe God wants to speak to you today. And I want you to ask him the question, God, who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to encourage? Okay? So the first question is, God, make this all super complicated. Just the first person that comes to mind. Um, I don't know who that's going to be, but the first person that comes to mind, just take that as in faith, just go, okay, that's who God wants me to encourage. And then the second question that, that I want you to ask of him is, Lord, how do you see that person? How do you see that person? And then I want you to grab that pen and paper, put the person's name at the top, and then just begin to write down how God sees that person. Maybe he's going to give you a verse in Scripture. Maybe he's going to give you just some, some stuff. I don't know. But write down what he gave you and how he sees that person. And I just want you to fold that up and put it away in your safe and tuck it away for the next 30, 40 years, okay? No, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> then the next thing is, I want you to this week, I want you to call them. I guess maybe we can text, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever, whatever you feel like God wants you to do, let's go with that. Call, text, but whatever God gives you for that person, let them know. Let them know. And it might just be a, oh, awesome, thank you. Thank you for that. Or who knows? You might be pulling somebody out of, out of the storm, out of the water that they're sinking in. You don't even know it. But let's be those people, okay? Sound good? Awesome. Hey, stand with us. We're going to wrap up this morning by singing one last song, going out here with some just some faith about who our God is and, and what he's up to. And let's just sing this last song, encouragement with, with, with everything we've got. And then don't forget, next week, show up with a dish, some yummy food to spoil us all rotten with, okay? God bless. Have an awesome day.